0: Welcome to the Impact Sessions, a business podcast hosted by me, Nick Bramley, CEO and Director of Impact at Impactus Group. The Impact Sessions brings you weekly insights and experiences from some of my most valued, trusted, and influential business contacts across a range of current, interesting, and hopefully thought provoking subjects designed to give you some practical tips and ideas to drive continued success. In your business. On this week's podcast, I was delighted to interview Chris Wilson. Chris is the Managing Director of Adamo Business Consultants. And Chris and I go back a long way and we're both sales professionals. It's a great listen for anybody in sales because we just talk about how to improve your sales performance. Two old guys in a room sharing some tips and experience. A really enjoyable podcast to record. Hope you enjoy listening. So today on the Impact Sessions podcast, I'm delighted to have Chris Wilson with me. Chris and I go back a long way from when he was, um, well, he was a a general manager of a big hotel group in York uh, when I first met him a number of years ago. He's now managing director of Adamo Business Consultants and has been doing this kind of work for uh, a number of years. So um, we're going to talk today about driving and not reacting to business sales potential. So welcome to the Impact Sessions, Chris. Hi, Nick. Good to, to see, see you. And yeah. you, mate, and you. Um, as I say, I've met you uh, years ago when you were working in, in, uh, in the host, hotel and hospitality sector. How long have you been doing what you do in terms of um, sort of the sales development side of things? I'm trying to remember how many years you've been sort of uh, working for yourself in this area. Well, 20 years. I came to York wow. uh, in 1998
1: and became self-employed to 2002. But, you know, my sales background goes way back to my hotel Mm. days. That's my first job in the hotel, was a business development manager. Yeah. And I did that in Northampton, Gateshead, Newcastle, and then came to York. And York is such a commercial city. Sales was a really important part of that mix there in terms of running a business. So uh,
0: 2002.
1: Mm. Oh, we're all getting older. Yeah, I know. I know. We're all all getting getting
0: older. Yeah, we are. Well, listen, great to have you along. you and I sort of uh, share the love and passion for sales and Mm. we're in the same space to a certain extent, but I think we also, you know, complement each other in terms of what we're trying to do. So um, what I'd like to think, it's fair to say that we both love sales and we both actually enjoy the sales environment, but I want to explore your view on why so many businesses see sales as a a real challenge. So, you know, why do they not seem to enjoy sales or particularly embrace the sales culture? Because we do, but we see people who don't. Why is that, what do you reckon?
1: I guess it comes down to people not necessarily viewing us as a, uh, as a profession. Mm. Um, from a small business perspective, you know, you start off a great company, you've got some great ideas or a niche concept. And the first thing people tell you to do is go and get legal advice and go and get an accountant. And you haven't even got any sales. Mm. Um, but the business entrepreneur, they sort of start to try and do it themselves. And the thing is, it's like trying to do anything. The brain doesn't like something uncomfortable. It likes to exist in habit. Mm. Uh, what are we now? Second week in February, first week in February. And I'm sure everybody had this really big passionate goal to lose weight, drink less, exercise more uh, in January. <laughs> Join and, and, the gym. Yeah, all those things. And and we're probably now breaking that commitment. And I think from a business owner's perspective, entrepreneurs tackling sales it takes them out of the comfort zone they're brilliant exponents of their trade or of their profession and they get into the sales environment and the brain just says i am not happy with this environment mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i guess it takes them out of uh, the secure comfort zone and, uh, and sales is about being in a place where you're comfortable as soon as you expose that aspect of discomfort mm. people will spot that or hear it and you have really lost lost the opportunity, not to drive the sales process, but just be in control of it. Mm.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the credibility factor. If you don't look like you believe it, then your potential customer will certainly see that you don't believe it. So why should they believe whatever you're selling service product, whatever it might be, I guess. Yeah.
1: And the example I think in everybody's head is the school disco. And in all the girls lined up on the left-hand side and the boys, and the first person to try it was the first person that was also going to get knocked down in flames. And of course that fear of rejection is within all of us in a sales Mm -hmm. aspect, whether it be picking up the phone or going to the networking meeting. Yeah. You just don't want to have somebody say no, but no's are everywhere in business and it's about how you control your mindset to move past the no and keep looking for the yes.
0: Well, we've talked about driving, not reacting to business sales potential. So if you're driving business sales potential, you sort of have to encourage the no's because you have to understand why people may not buy from you as well as why they might. It's it's both sides of the coin.
1: Uh, Yeah, everybody has to listen and, and I think we'll probably talk about that later. And the sales process isn't governed by me as or you as a salesperson. Mm. It's about the customer and listening and searching for signals that then allows you to talk about what you want to talk about. But the dangerous sales process is the one that knows what they want to say and are waiting for the opportunity to speak mm. about what they've already decided to speak about as mm. opposed to listening and then responding
0: to what the person has asked you to do. Well, that's why uh, uh, a pre ordained kind of pitch presentation doesn't always work unless you've done your homework really well. If you're just doing a a pitch to a potential client, which is telling them all about how good you are and what you do and how great you are, the chances of that hitting the spot are pretty slim, aren't they? You can only design and create something of interest or think about something of interest after you understand what the pressure points are and what the customer's trying to solve and all that kind of stuff. So going in, like you say, with a preordained approach is always likely to be more, you know, high risk and and, and subject to failure. I suspect. Well, I, I think so.
1: But equally, if you're going to a network environment, you might want to have your elevator pitch or mm. the words that speak resonance with what you're wanting to talk about. But I always talk about car salesmen. The great car salesman ask you questions. What was your last car? What are you mm. going to do with it? Have you got a dog? Have you got two kids? Do you like speed? Do you like colour? Do you like mm. power? Do you like energy? And of course, all they're doing is deciding which car they're going to show you in the car uh, showroom, as yeah. opposed to walking you around five hundred cars, working out which one's going to be relevant to yeah. you. And I think we could learn a lot from that sort of front-facing sales aspect mm. in in the trenches, so to speak, and trying to understand how to talk to customers, mm. ask open questions, which then allows you to open up your um, whether it be rehearsed pitches, but you're only talking about the pitch that is relevant to the customer's needs as yeah. opposed to just hitting them with everything and every, and anything.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned like you say a lot of transferable skills of the Cutting edge, old style salesperson, like you say, car sales typically are seen as that. Some of those transferable skills are still relevant, aren't they? Whether you're selling, you know, services or whether you're selling products, whether you're selling, you know, online, the, the principles of understanding your customer requirements and fine tuning your offer towards them are much, you know, much maligned, I think, and, and, and much underused in some cases. So, okay, mm. um, I like strategy. I like the fact that you mentioned earlier that sales is a profession because you know those who work in sales are listening to this podcast now uh hopefully you know, jumping up and, and standing up proudly and saying, yes, it is a profession. Um, but a lot of people don't understand that. But also, it's also a strategic part of a business. So when it comes to a business in terms of thinking about a sales strategy, what do you think the important factors are they should be considering first and foremost? Well, there's a person
1: that, I was on your website this morning and you reference uh, Simon Sinek a lot. Yes. And I'm also a great exponent of uh, his Video why, and if you haven't watched it, then please go and find it. It's universally available, and if you've watched it, watch it again
0: mm. because he. I think it's called the Golden Circle. The Golden Circle, yeah, that's right. It yeah. is. Yeah.
1: It's finding out why. We we all know uh, what it is we do, and we all know how we should do it. But the key thing is why, and is it about the customers' why, or is it about our why? Mm. And when the moments of the truth happen, if you haven't got that strategic alignment to what are you really trying to achieve then i think the sales process or the customer experience will just leap out and say that was wrong. Mm. And the other exponent i guess is Tony Robbins he talks about why we do what we do and if if you if you have time go and find again that ted talk. Every business we all know why we do stuff and it's about translating from the sales director or the managing director or the entrepreneur this is what's important to us. Mm. And that, whether it be the bus driver, the cab driver, the waitress, the, uh, the online creative director, they all need to be delivering to the why.
0: Mm. Okay, I, I am a big exponent of that, and, and you know, Cynic's, uh, Simon Sinek's a, a, a particular person. I do enjoy some of his content. He's quite controversial in some areas, and he's quite uh, sort of straightforward and, and black and white in others. So, I think he's a, he's, he's a guy to follow certainly. Um, Competitive um, environments exist all around us. I don't, apart from if you've you've got the um, sort of cure for cancer and you're the only one doing it, then that's a nice place to be from a business perspective. Most businesses don't exist in a vacuum. They exist in a competitive world. They exist in an environment where, um, you know, they are one of a me too provider. So what advice would you give to a business in terms of um, standing out from the crowd when it comes to either launching a business in, a, in a, a packed environment or growing a business in a competitive world? What kind of things would you suggest that they need to do to, to be stand out?
1: Okay, I, I guess this also links to strategy is that before you embark on telling people about what you do, most marketing people talk about having a SWOT analysis and mm. that's a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats uh, perspective. And and where you are there in terms of the niche or the standout or the competitor is the, you know, what strengths do you have? What weaknesses are there? What opportunities exist in the marketplace? Is your niche a genuine opportunity? Was it just something that you dreamt up in a, uh, a moment of um, drunkenness on a Saturday night? Yeah. Uh, and equally, who are out there are also threatening you and what are the competitors doing? What are their price points? What are their unique selling points? Uh, and now you've kind of got an idea about who the market is, then it defines whether or not you are a me too business or, or not. The thing that I sometimes get very annoyed about when we're working with a new customer is is i talk to them and tell me I say tell me about your business mm. and they say oh, we've got these great unique selling points uh, we've got these great people we've got this great service delivery we've got a great location and i question to say well what is it that's unique about that yeah and those may well be selling points which are important to their business but they're not unique
0: no nobody buys that either do they? I, I, i'm about to pre, uh, create a piece of content called is my baby ugly? Mm-hmm. And it's based upon business owners doing just that, Chris. Basically, they nobody ever phones up and says, deal with us, we don't know what we're doing. Deal with us, we don't care about service. Deal with us, you know, we're particularly unskilled. You know, skills, experience, service, they're all given, aren't they? So they don't do enough. So when I go into an organisation and somebody gives me those kind of, you know, spiels off those reasons why, tell me about your business, I'll say, "Hmm, nobody cares, which is like saying that your baby's ugly. If you've sweated blood, sweat and tears into setting up a business and growing a business and somebody comes in from the outside world and goes, yeah, doesn't matter, nobody cares. So this little piece of content's about... Is my baby ugly? And just getting people to think about that. So I'm glad you've touched on that as a as a thought process. You know, people just don't do enough around standing out from the competition. Everyone's got great customer service. Everyone's got, you know, excellent staff. Everyone's got a, 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 a me too can do culture. So that's not enough, is it?
1: it? It's not. And also test out your words on others because you get so entrenched in the detail when you're starting or launching a new product, and you become familiar with jargon, you use terminology that nobody else understands, or particularly in a technical environment, you are using uh, phraseology that simply just doesn't cut it when you're Mm. trying to translate that to somebody to talk about um, features and benefits. Mm -hmm. And uh, go and get a professional copywriter... Just deal with the people that will be able to translate your thoughts into words that actually mean something in terms of the customers that you're talking to. And do focus groups. Ask customers, look, this is our website. What does it tell you? Mm. Does it tell you that we're arrogant, um, middle-aged, suited men, if that's what you're trying to put across? Or do you want to be totalitarian to all kinds of marketplaces? And words have power and words will mean things to people. Mm. But never, ever rest on your laurels thinking that you are – the person that can solve everybody else's uh, solutions because there are other people out there that will tell you quite differently.
0: You, you're much better being niche and expert than generalist and, you know, uh, mass market though, surely, aren't you? Because these days, don't people value the the expertise and nicheness more? Is that is that fair?
1: Well, you can be niche and expert, but you, sh- you should also never be niche expert and complacent because there's always somebody looking around the corner yes seeing what you're doing or developing what you've done and actually put another uh, level of bells and whistles on it Mm. Uh, so yes it would be nice to be niche and expert but you can be niche and expert and still not actually be able to translate that message to market through ineffective sales Mm. i have worked with some customers and some uh, some service providers in the software market particularly who have a great offer and yet their website or their message to market is just simply too complicated. Yeah. And they're so focused on the sale. They're so focused on the demo. They're so focused on trying to move the customer along in their timeframes. They actually begin to annoy the prospect. Mm. And I think the key thing in in the sales marketplace, if anybody's talking about strategy, is to go at the pace of the customer. Always try to move, move forward to the next base. But the next base might just be talking about the American football might mm. be talking about the cricket might be talking about the Olympics might be talking about the impact of, um, of a virus on the UK and how's mm. that but it doesn't have to be about the sales process it's yeah. just about engaging and knowing that you're a person that they can trust and that you're not there just to try to hammer them down into a diary appointment next Thursday at nine o'clock
0: mm. I mean the traditional sales route and sales processes I guess you know uh, it starts with prospect engage um meet pitch uh proposal negotiate close all that kind of stuff it's quite traditional but that like you said quite enjoyed that that response there in terms of saying go at the customer's pace because a lot of sales people get a really bad rap don't they for being they don't listen or they don't pay respect to the customer. They're just following a process. And that process is driven by people, maybe above them, the sales director or the managing director going, how many of those have you done? How many of these have you done? How many of those have you done? Whatever that might be, phone calls, meetings, Skype calls, pitches, etc. And actually, it's not necessarily about the volume in a lot of cases, it's about the quality and the quality of that engagement piece, isn't it?
1: It is. It's also about, I guess, the amount of revenue attached to each particular sale. And the larger the sale, the more focused and the more time i think you should spend on it mm. and i i know in some environments there account managers are maybe only chasing three four five deals per year because there's such big numbers mm. and in that context you can really begin to build a forensic picture about your prospect where do they shop what meetings are they going to who do they network with mm. and you begin to like their linkedin comments and you suddenly almost become stealth like yeah yeah but you're in their faces and you're in their audience all the time and therefore you almost become a trusted friend. And then when the, the telephone call happens or the meeting call happens, uh, it's something that they're almost expecting as opposed to something that's cold or or, or not welcome.
0: Okay. I mean, that, that's, that's great advice anyway, because it is about awareness raising, isn't it? Um, the chances of you making a sale in whatever industry you're in with a first engagement, so whether it's a, 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 you know, a reach out through LinkedIn, which you shouldn't be selling on anywhere, Uh, or a phone call or whatever, a networking, the chance of getting a sale from the first engagement, pretty slim. It's all about that relationship build. It's all about understanding, isn't it, the the steps that will build that trust and will build that rapport, will build that opportunity so that you're elevated in their mind. It's amazing the amount of people who say, oh, I was just thinking about you, but the day after you've been to see them or the day after you've sent them something, I was just thinking about you. Really? Yeah. You think about me because we in some way engineered you to think about me because I was in your thought process, something active I did. So whether it's a, you know, say a piece of content or a comment on your on your own LinkedIn post or whether I've, you know, been to see you or whatever. There's, it's not coincidental that, is it?
1: No. I, and I think that point you make about the, the sale is never going to be the first sale, uh, we would be naive to think this. Sometimes it does happen. Oh yeah, yeah, You happen to hit the right call or the the right networking meeting. You just happen to be serendipitously in the right place, mm-hmm. and it happens. It's very, very, very rare. Yeah. And the I think that the salesperson that is under the cost from the CEO or the director to hit the numbers, here's the KPI: how many meetings, how many turnips have you had, how many demos converted to uh, onboarding. It's a flawed process because it's about numbers and metrics as opposed to deals converted. And money in the till. Yeah. And there are instances now where sales is instant. Most, a lot of people in the consumer world on a retail environment will actually have already made a decision Mm. when they hit the website that they're going to pursue this transaction from click to, to basket checkout. Yeah. Because of the way they've already determined their mindset about the brand, the values, the experience. And you have absolutely no involvement in that sales process. Mm. And that's where it comes down to delivery and consistency by the team. Yeah, And part of things thing is that I would say to everybody in sales, it's not the sales manager's job to keep the till turning. Mm. It's about everybody's job to give them enough reason to be confident about the fact that they can sell and then the operations team will deliver consistently.
0: I, I ask the question when I'm working with sales teams, I'll say do you have a sales prevention department in your organization? <clears throat> and invariably they do. And invariably without uh, having a go accounts, it's often accounts, they'll say accounts might put a customer on stop without telling me. Yeah. So my customer who I'm building relationships with has been put on stop because computer says put them on stop, no dialogue, no communication internally. And therefore I'm embarrassed and it's difficult and all those kind of things. Or it might be, dispatch or delivery so you might be the best at selling that you can be the customers loving and trusting your brand and your product and it's thrown onto the back of a courier van it gets it it arrives in a broken box and it just doesn't look great and feel great so there's always a, a an area where you know people can be influenced by the brand the experience and if you've got a sales prevention office in your department in your in your organization if you're listening you need to address the sales prevention team because they are you know, taking money out of the till. It's everybody's responsibility, as Chris has said there.
1: Without a doubt. And sometimes you call them moments of truth. Service recovery, uh, you're only as good as the weakest link in your team is that old adage that applies. And it's, it's so uh, critical in this world because the bad news spreads very, very quickly, whether oh. it be through social media, through online reviews, there is no way to hide. If you are a service delivery person involving customers with Google reviews or Trustpilot, there is nowhere to hide. Yeah. And that's a great thing for the people that are fantastic, but it's a perilous journey for anybody that has got uh, people in their teams that are out to get them because yeah. there is, it, it's it's there, you read the review and click move on. Thank you very much. You
0: have to up your game across the entire board, don't you? Really? Absolutely. Okay. Now, I want to talk to you about uh, businesses that I've been in over the years. I'm sure you have as well. The sort of flip from one sales ID to another and often back again. Um what advice would you give to a business seems to be more productive and effective in their sales activity? You know, the ones who go, oh, I had an idea, where the sales manager or sales director comes in, they go, oh, I've had an idea we should target that sector, or, oh, this product should go out. These people who jump around. How would you advise them to be more effective and productive?
1: Okay, well, I guess you've started the podcast talking about strategy, and there's a, there's a couple of books I go to and... Chet Holmes is a really good author. He's mm. written the Ultimate uh, Sales Machine, and I think I, he...
0: I had that an audio book actually, and uh, it's a hell of a long audio book. But it's a, you know it's a great series. It was a series on uh, yeah, it, it's good. It, it, it's a it's a bit. I don't want to knock my uh, internationalist, It's a bit American, but the principles transfer really well, don't they?
1: Well, yeah, it's a bit American, but of course, the message in there is that uh, we're all salespeople, yes. but we're all different types of salespeople. And I think the bit that he talks about is that uh, we're 90% tactical salespeople, mm. uh, 9% strategic, and only 1% of us can cross across the two. So when we're flip-flopping all around the place, mm. the reason is is because often we're making tactical decisions about sales, reacting to what is being fed to us, according to the environment that we're in. Mm. And sometimes you make silly decisions based on reacting and you lose sight of the strategy. Yeah. And because so many people in sales are short term, we've got to do this, the uh, the KPIs aren't stacking up the numbers aren't hitting the metrics, we start to make knee-jerk reactions, mm. or we uh, suddenly turn a face and abandon what we thought was working and try something else. And like I said to you before, the brain loves to have both habit and change. And when it goes into change, it's a nice environment for the brain to be in for a while. But after a while, it kind of gets fed up with that and wants to get back to the habit again. Mm. Uh, so overall, I think it's just about trying to be strategic. Where are we trying to drive the bus? Why have we suddenly turned it around? Mm. Because it was more attractive to go left than it was right. Actually, we always said we we're going to go in that direction. And keep focus of the strategy, I think, is the important point in terms of why do we flip-flop?
0: Okay, that's a good I like that. And I like the fact that it's probably transferable to the next piece, which is maybe a little bit about staff. Um, sales staff have a very um, potentially transient uh, lifestyle for, you know, from company to company. I particularly don't like to see a very busy CV if someone's applying for a sales job, uh, you know, 18 months here, nine months there, 12 months, two years. So I always think, well, there's a reason for that. and And despite whatever they're gonna tell me in the interview, it's usually because they've been found out rather than the fact that they chose to move for you know developmental reasons or whatever it might be. There are some reasons why people have got short lifespans in sales. Um, but why do you think businesses don't continue to invest in their salespeople beyond a certain, you know, short-termism they give them three months they go are you going to make it in three months you wouldn't say that to a doctor or a dentist or a solicitor would you why is sales like that why is sales so cutthroat when it comes to the expectations on the performance
1: well sometimes it's about the churn in that when you start getting good at sales you are automatically levitated into a higher responsibility position and then you become suddenly sales manager. Mm. And before you know, it, you're the regional area manager controlling lots of people. And actually, you never really wanted to be a people manager. You wanted to just hit the commission, hit the number, drive home in the car and celebrate on a Friday night with the lads. Yeah, that was why we got into sales in the first place. Yeah. And actually, what sometimes happens in businesses is that we accelerate people's careers for the wrong reason. Mm. And we develop people into things that they never wanted to be, which was a manager
0: controlling people yeah. and emotions an environment. And the skill sets are massively different, aren't they, between that and being, you know, if you like the old the old style sales executive sales representative, the person hitting the numbers, hitting the KPIs and, 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 and in some ways selfishly looking after their own sales pipeline. Massively different skill set to being a a sales manager and a regional sales manager, individual divisional manager, and suddenly you've got all these people to look after.
1: Well, it's an admin-focused role. There's lots of uh, forms to fill in. There's lots of responsibilities. And this is the salesperson's nightmare. They yeah. don't like admin. They don't like to be accountable for things. They just want to hit the phone, have the meeting, make the uh, the, the, the doorstep sale, yeah. celebrate, and move on. Yeah. And perhaps, I'm, I'm not maybe answering your full question, but the reason why perhaps people are allowed to stay in places, uh, and then they um, move around is because the talent that is actually there or was there has now been moved on to another place. Mm. I think if I find somebody's CV that is uh, moving around a lot, sometimes there is a genuine reason for it. But Mm. yeah, you're right, you will normally find out that there's something that's gone wrong, or they didn't fit the culture wasn't right. uh, Or they just get stale and the mental health aspect of an individual. I was listening to uh, Lorna's uh, podcast this morning, I think mm. it's been recently with you. And it's great to see people really talking about mental health and resilience. And the sales game is a very, very hard place to work. Mm. Uh, you have to be tough. You have rejection. People don't want to talk to you, uh, whether it be online, email, and obviously with the social aspect now of, uh, of social media, people, the keyboard um, uh, bullies, can make it a very horrible place to be mm. for people in that marketplace as well uh, so sometimes sales just literally burn out yeah, and they go on to the next opportunity thinking that they've made a mistake and the next place is going to be really good for them but underneath all of that there's actually some psychological stuff in their brains perhaps that they just need to talk about whether it be through a coach a mentor a friend and just say Do you know what i'm actually not willing or I'm scared to pick up the phone. Mm. I'm actually going to a networking, networking meeting. My introverted self is coming out and I don't want to do what I'm doing. Yeah. And part of my thought process within my head is, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. It's okay to not want to do the call, but when it becomes not okay to be not okay, then you have something there that you need to share with somebody else. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's the key is, is uh, as, as you said on, on an earlier podcast with Laura Feeney, we were talking about that kind of mental health Awareness, resilience, overall well-being, really, um, and I think sales is is probably one of you know the most pressured jobs in a, a business environment because every looks at the salespeople and say, you know, are you paying our wages next month? Are you bringing the business in that's going to help us to you know deliver and keep the guys in the operations and keep the manufacturing suite open and all that kind of thing? So there's a, there's an awful lot of, but there's still a lot of, I don't know, the word bullying is probably wrong. There's still a lot of harassment in old style sales environments, which I don't like to see, you know, where you've got a hierarchy and, the, and, and they come to a sales meeting every month and there's a bit of an embarrassment about your figures and, you know, it's it's public shaming and stuff. I really hate to see that in a sales environment. I think the world has changed and sales teams need to change and sales management needs to change to reflect some of those sort of impacts that we've talked about really, and, and be a bit more aware of, of the impact of you know, the, the, the Friday afternoon, you haven't hit your figures, but I'm going to tell you you haven't hit your figures in front of everybody else. And mm. it's clearly aware we you haven't hit your figures. So, you know, why do I need to shame you in front of people and what's the impact of that? Uh,
1: I think also there is this aspect of salespeople are still labelled as not as professional as they possibly could be. And mm. in, in a transaction analysis perspective of, um, of science, there's this parent-child relationship whereby we are still... A salespeople perhaps considered the rebellious child or the child, and the and the customer then becomes the parent, and they have this all autocratic demeanour. And we, as the salesperson, come across as submissive or apologetic. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. Mm. Well, let's just talk about it as an adult fashion. I have something to talk to you that I think is of benefit to you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be ringing you otherwise. And hopefully, Mister Adult. You're going to give me the respect and the time to allow me to talk to you in a fashion that is an adult fashion. Mm. And when we have this dysfunctional relationship between parent and child, uh, you know, that the the prospector starts to trying to be a little bit too belligerent or a little bit rude or combative, mm. uh, and it again becomes a, a breakdown of uh, of environment that is that is not good to be seen, whether it be face to face or networking, and even in a internal position where the salesperson is then being pressured by their line manager to deliver and it's then it's, it's this mismatch between child and parent and the line managers becoming the parents and mm. you must deliver on this and i'm going to threaten you with this if you don't do that and of course people don't like that we don't no. like it as children we don't like it as, adult, as as parents we just need to be like treated more with more respect
0: i think okay no worries um let's go old school uh, in okay. these days of social selling and you know relationship building and social media etc you and i are both big advocates of the telephone still aren't we you know yes. that's that thing that rings that the old style ones where you had to turn the numbers around etc but these days you press buttons etc that kind of thing but in 2020 is the telephone more redundant um in terms of you know, people's use of it? To, I don't like the word cold calling because that doesn't exist anymore with research and things. But is the telephone becoming more and more redundant in the sales process?
1: Well, I think a, if it's a cold call, as you've said there, uh, it, it is It is redundant. And unfortunately, it still happens. I mean, I, 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 called, I received a call yesterday. The opening
0: line was, can I talk to the manager, please? Oh, really? Uh, hang on, hang on. No. Let me explore that. Who the hell in 2020 hasn't got the time, energy, focus, or resources to find out who the hell is the manager, managing director, owner, or whatever of a Dharmo business consultant. Well, you know, it's it's public domain information. But it's today. not
1: his or her fault, is it? Really, it's no, down it's, to the it's fact it's that the somebody said. Above them. There's your list. Off you go. See yeah. what you can do. Yeah. And it's down to the cultural aspect of the. They're either bored or they've got nothing to do, and they've given this poor soul whether it be young, old, um, medium-aged, this job of ringing these prospects, and they've got absolutely no background to it. And it's a a despicable situation to be Ah. in. And if you are in receipt of one of those calls, please be as polite as you can be to the person that's making the call. Because it's not really their fault. They've just been given a task to do. But yes, I mean, in terms of you, Nick, I can go on your website, I can find your email, I can find your LinkedIn address, I can find your uh, your mobile number ends in four nine five. Your yeah. landline ends in three eight four. I know you were born in May. Yeah. I know in two years' time you've got a quite a big milestone.
0: Oh, thanks for that, out. mate. Uh, but it's in the public domain.
1: <laughs> All those things, and I now know that I might be wanting to talk to you in May yeah. because it's your birthday, and I've yeah. suddenly got something to talk to you about. Yeah. So yes,
0: it's lazy though, isn't it? Cold calling from a list is lazy, and I've got a particular client who works in one sector that shall remain nameless, but their sales director keeps saying, can we do some cold call training? And I say, no. Oh, why not? Because I don't do cold call training. I don't teach people how to read a directory from A to Z. Start at Aardvark Services and finish at Mr. Zakynthos. Uh, I teach people how to research and develop understanding. And I think do a bit of a deep dive before you make the call. So your chances of success are massively improved. I would much rather make eight or 10 high-quality, high-research calls to people who want to take those calls than 50 or 60 calls to people on an a, a, e, call list. It just doesn't make any sense these days to me at all. So, But the telephone is still an important factor in being able to use that phone as a sales tool, isn't it?
1: I, I believe so. It's still the only mechanism, apart from a face-to-face meeting or a mm. Skype, where you can ask a question and they can give you a response and then based on the response, you can then can continue to keep the conversation uh, mm. moving forward. And if you've got a very good manner that uses open and powerful questions, it's almost a game of tennis. They mm. offer you a nice ball in the middle of the court and you hit it back to them nice and gently. Yeah. And as soon as you open up with a question that allows them to deliver an ace straight down the middle, you know, you're out of the game. Yeah. But it's still the only mechanism. that's fairly cheap to do, let's be honest, yep. to be able to talk to a prospect Deliver what it is you're trying to work with them on and then understand where their buying cycle is and what the timeframes are before we can move it along to the next opportunity. Or just understand that they're not in the marketplace right now. Okay, it's not right now. Is that a now, not never? Mm. Or is that a now, just not now?
0: Yeah. I think we're, we're a long way from the salesperson using the telephone being replaced by AI anytime soon, aren't we really? It's, uh, you know. Well, there
1: are some pretty good robots out there though who um, who, who can do it. Uh, and I, I have had taken some of those calls. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's frightening when you actually understand that you are talking to a robot about uh, a, a customer service engagement th- through a big call center. And uh, it's just slightly wrong in terms of the pace yes. or the response, but there are some very, very good systems out there okay. and also some very good ways of copying your voice and then re-engaging that wow. through, just be careful in terms of, uh, Cybercrime, yeah. there are some really, I don't want to scare people, but there's some very, very good voice recognition software systems that can take your voice and then repeat that and then make a call to you, yeah. pretending I am Nick Bramley. Using algorithm please...
0: stuff to create the sort of... The,
1: yeah, the, the here's my bank account. With, yeah. Could you just deposit that uh, payment yeah. into this bank account wow. instead of the other? So just be careful.
0: Okay. Um, last couple of questions. Um, sales pipeline, it's about managing activity at the top, Mm -hmm. and output at the bottom how do you advise businesses to build and manage an effective sales pipeline or sales funnel you know what tips would you have around sort of managing that data and the opportunity and information
1: well you've got to have some kind of system Mm. and there are some very very good crm systems uh, out there a customer relationship management tool Uh, but it could just be something as simple as an excel file that Mm. just says day called next call, what's the reason? Yeah, Uh, but please invest in some kind of system. Uh, And then secondly, the prospects, I think, need to be uh, categorized according to where they sit uh, in the funnel. And the third thing I think is to talk about the touch points you'll use to try to draw them down the funnel. And that is different for every single business. It could be phone, it could be email, it could be text, it Mm. could be networking, it could be events, it could be uh, SEO, any manner of things, but appreciate that every customer will move down the funnel in their own time. Mm. And if you try to move them down the funnel too quickly, they'll jump out. Yeah. So I think that's my my overall um, comment on that. But I think equally, we must not forget that the clients that we attracted and pulled through the funnel are the most important people sometimes because Mm. it's Pareto law, 20% of your customers will probably deliver 80% of your revenue. And it's so much easier to continue to get revenue or more revenue and upspend from the people that are already through the pipe. Mm. And we're always looking for the next quick sale. And I would urge any business to continue to think about how are we looking after the people that we've already got on the funnel? Because unfortunately, there's people like you and me that are trying to coax them out of one business and bring them into another. So uh, I talked about complacency. And I think that's really, really important that you empower all of your team mm. to be customer service kings, moments of the truth, recovery people, yeah. customer uh, experience um, uh, advocates, and make sure that the customers have nowhere else to go other than staying in your business.
0: And they actually enjoy the experience of nowhere else to go because they're loyal to you, your brand, your service delivery, your team, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. One last tip there. I'd like to finish the, the, the podcast where I can with a a bit of a golden thread or a golden bullet, what would be the one tip you'd give the podcast listeners about sales? What would you say is the thing that you say, take that, listen to that, absorb that, what do you think? No pressure. (laughs) I think it's just listen. Make it personal.
1: The customer is the customer and they'll go at their own pace. And if you try to force them to do something, it'll aggravate them. Mm. we're so keen to say what we want to say and talk about our features and benefits and our selling points and actually sometimes it doesn't matter to the customer Mm. at all because they've seen it on your website they've read all your views and they just want to see what you've got to say yeah and it's about engagement being consistent and just listen and i think you know we've got what is the adage we've got two ears and one mouth yeah and somebody gave me another acronym yesterday which was S-T-F-U, and I think maybe you should uh, understand what that means.
0: Okay, S-T-F-U. We'll leave the podcast on that one, uh, Chris. Let people work that one out. I think it's fairly straightforward. (laughs) So listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. That's Chris Wilson from Adamo Business Consultant. Contact details will be on the end of the podcast. And uh, thanks for sharing your insights into all things to do with driving and not reacting to business sales. Thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Excellent.